Welcome to the Jewelers Podcast, the podcast that talks to jewelers, retailers, and industry supporters about their experiences and insights into the jewelry industry. The Jewelers Podcast is brought to you by the Jewelry Industry Summit, preparing you for growth. Hi, everybody. Today, we're joined by Michael Dyer, sales manager and client mentor at Retail Edge. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks very much. Yeah, welcome to the podcast, Mike. It's a pleasure to have you on here with us. It's a pleasure to be here. And Michael, you and I have had so many chats, um, you know, in the last, well, I suppose it's been at least a year now uh, in regards to the industry and what's happening at the moment, especially with COVID. Um, So it's really fantastic to have you on the podcast. I wanted to ask first and foremost, how long have you been in the industry and and what, what got you into it? Um, I've been in the jewellery industry or involved in the peripherals of the jewellery industry since 1985. Um, I, um, uh, my background is all largely retail and I moved uh, from um, clothing, from, from gross from, to clothing and into the jewellery industry, managing a jewellery shop. And uh, in 1988, I uplifted my family and uh, my wife and family and we came to Australia and uh, worked for a software company and I've been dealing with software in the jewellery industry specifically and the information produced by that uh, since then. Well, that's a great fusion to the role that you're in now. You've had retail experience in the jewellery industry and IT experience, so what you're doing now is is perfect. Yeah, perfect mashup. <laughs> yeah, an, ex- an, an accidental, accidental. Uh, <laughs> nice merge. <laughs> that's um, that's called uh, playing to your passions, isn't it? That's, that's a perfect thing. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, yes. <laughs> I did have a quick look at your uh, your LinkedIn and it must be about nearly 20 years you've been with Retail Edge. Um, yes, yes, in one guise or another. We, um, all of the, well, most of the, the management team at Retail Edge um, have had a lot of experience through uh, jewellery, the jewellery industry and, and management and producing information and more importantly, teaching people how to take that information and, uh, and do something um, productive with it. I love that when I when I've chatted to you the first time, um, you know, talking about retail edges services and just your interpretation of what it delivers. The best part of that conversation for me was that you you don't just have the analytics at the end of the day and all the data. You actually showcase how to use that data and what um, you know what people should be reading out of it and how they should then action. Um, you know, their their next move based on what the data tells them. I think that was excellent. Well, there's no point in gathering data if you do nothing with it. And there's uh, and sometimes when we when we we all of us view data, we tend to apply our own perspective on it. So it's nice to get an external perspective and just say walk around the table and view it from uh, from the other side. It may be different. Absolutely. I'm not sure if you saw there was a news report recently about. Um, all of the different reports and statistics that were, were gathered around the globe annually and the fact that 90% of them are never used, which could be a made-up statistic, but I thought that was quite an interesting news report that people don't usually use the analysis. I um, have a colleague in the United States and he, he's a very funny man and he always uses the, uh, the line, 63.25% of all statistics are made up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've heard 83, but uh, that might yeah. be my own made up statistic. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think you, uh, you get go with whatever works for you at the time. <laughs> exactly, whatever number you can think of. <laughs> um, so, Mike, you must you must see, because you deal with retailers all over the country, you must see and, and hear all kinds of successes and challenges around the industry. What do you think retailers are most challenged with at the moment, other than COVID? Um, well, probably the, uh, the biggest challenge is um, interacting with their customers. Um, because they see their customers as the people that come through their door typically and um, what, what what COVID has probably done a bit is uh, to push people to say it's not just about the people that come through my door, it's about the people that don't currently come through my door that may have come through historically, how do I get them to come back again? Yeah, 100%. So, so you've got... Um, I suppose that question around, um, and it's a conversation that Brett and I have actually just had about that customer life cycle, really, and the fact that, you know, a customer purchasing once uh, isn't a lost customer or a finished or dead customer. It's actually the beginning of a relationship where you do want them to come back in again and again and again. Yep, 100%, because um, if you're, particularly if you're in a, a smaller population base, you know, country Australia, and you get a population base of 10,000 people or whatever, it doesn't matter how many jewelers or, or retail opportunities there are in town, um, you've, you've, you've got to reach out further than, than your local environment, and certainly the internet has done that to a degree, and COVID has driven people to to look beyond, I guess, their, their own limited horizons at where they can buy product. But certainly the, the, any relationship that's been built up with face-to-face -face communication, because we're in the jewellery industry, the level of trust built up with face-to-face -face, uh, interaction over the jewellery counter is certainly something that, that people need to build on to, uh, to get bigger ticket sales, uh, which is really where the industry has gone in the last, certainly the last 12 to 18 months. Is it too early to see that uh, showing online, like the way that's changing through this COVID time? Um, it is a little bit because particularly with the, uh, with the website stuff, people are still trying to discover what website is best for them and their business. Um, if you're in the field of custom design and bespoke type of product there, um, a lot of website designers um, are trying to get people to put product online when the reality is they really are more suited possibly to a gallery type event. This is the type of product we do rather than this is what we've got in stock at the moment. Uh, it's, a, it's a fine line between custom bespoke and, and doing one-offs and yet having two or three brothers or sisters of the same product online to sell. It sort of uh, d defies a little bit of logic and, and makes a little bit of a lie of what you're trying to tell the customer. That's probably a huge, a huge challenge that a lot of, um, you know, bench jewellers are finding when they try and tackle their own online presence is that they don't have stock to actually put online to sell with a cart type system. They're showing what they can do as opposed to selling a specific product. You're 100% you're right there. That would be a huge challenge. How, do you, how are you finding people are overcoming that? What I say to people is um, the product that you have as a bespoke or, or custom design person is more aspirational and it's an indication of the type of product that you have. Um, with so many um, jobs being done there, custom and bespoke, people don't... Um, people don't necessarily go into the first doorway that they see to get something custom designed or, or something bespoke made specifically for them. In most cases, because of our retail heritage, 
we go and try and view products in Windows and try and get look and feel of what these people do, whether there's something that's not out of the out of dissimilarity with what we're looking to buy, and either out of frustration or, or previous experience or word of mouth, they stumble through a doorway and they say, can you make me something like this? And they've got an example of a photo or a picture of their sister's ring or something they've downloaded from the internet or whatever um, to, to get something designed around it. Now, I'm, I'm sure in your role, Brett, you'll, uh, you'll reinforce this. What they start off with when they come in with the photo is really only in the neighbourhood in many cases of what they end up buying. So I say to people, you need to look at what you're selling, what you've sold historically in the last six or eight months, and make sure you've got some examples of that type of product in your window, even if it's only photos of the same type of thing, to get those, uh, well, for want of a better term, I call them jewellery orphans, those people that are drifting around looking to find a jeweller to make them something nice. But if you don't have good examples in your window, if you just got the same as everyone else, then they're probably going to go past your doorway and you'll never, ever know because you'd never get to see them. And it becomes a price war too. If your stuff's exactly the same Correct. as everybody else's, then you're not selling based on your brand or your designs, you're selling based on price. No, no, very much so. What we have seen probably in the last 12 months, um, because we get to view a lot of data, not only in Australia but out of America as well, there has been an increase in uh, in margin for uh, retailers. Um, there has been an increase in the average ticket value of items being sold. Um, there's been an increase in fine jewellery sales. And these are all very, very heartening um, things for, for jewellers and for people that do custom and bespoke. Yeah, definitely. I, I've seen, um, and, and obviously with RetailEdge being, as you said, an American company, the the uh, information that you would have seen across the across the waters would would will very soon emulate what we're seeing here. In that, um, you know, smaller, you know, more bespoke manufacturing jewelers are definitely doing better than the chains in a lot of cases and the majors because they do offer a different, more personalised service and product. Correct, and uh, the. Um the, the personalised service is the, is the key to this whole thing because I believe that the consumers still want a very personal experience. We're, um, we're in an industry which is a high visual content, um, but it's only, uh, it's only recently, in fact, that um, more and more systems have put photos into their inventory system, which we've done for a, for a number of years. We even provide a, f a facility where suppliers... Uh, at no cost to the supplier or the retailer, provide photos of their product for us to distribute to authorised stockers of their product to automatically load their inventory system so it comes alive, not only at the point of sale when you're selling product and printing the photo onto the receipt, but when you're looking at uh, purchase history of customers, you can actually see the look and feel of the product that the people are buying oh. and a uh, picture is worth a thousand words, what you try and disseminate or decipher from five lines of text you pick up in a snapshot uh, when you look at the photo and say, oh, I know what that is. The look and feel of that is X. Mm. Yeah, that, that information technology advancement, like over the last even five to ten years, it's got to be one of the, the strongest changes you've seen for retail age, I imagine. Like even just the re remote access now into people's computers and sales systems and being able to download, like, like you're saying, whole catalogs of images on, onto yep. their computers. Like it's, it's changed the whole game. Yeah, it certainly has, and uh, um, I think there's there's a growing expectation um, of what 
consumers uh, expect to see in their uh, in their retail environment um, um, in a professional uh, and professional manner. And the the challenge for the retail jeweler is to um, capture the right margin that will allow him to invest in in growing and building on that. Yeah, I think margin is a very interesting topic in our industry because it should uh, it should not just obviously relate to the work that's been put into the piece itself and the hours and the experience that that jeweller might have, but also it has to move with the fluctuating gold prices. So people's prices for product need to change as the gold price shifts as well. And that's often something that people don't consider when they're repricing their product ranges or, you know, looking at their, their stock takes every month or every year even. Yep, 100%. The, the problem uh, that we've seen in the last 12 months in particular is where people have sold uh, plain gold-based uh, product or no stone set in it and they haven't uh, moved with the with the changes in, in exchange rate and gold prices and they sell a piece of stock uh, they need the gross profit on it to run their business and turn their lights on and pay their staff. They take the cost of goods from that item and they go to the supplier and they look for the brother or sister or something um, not just not unlike what they've just sold yes. and suddenly find they've got to put another $60, $200 with it. Um, where does that come from? Exactly. They've got to cut that out of their own pocket. Correct. Yeah, it, it's a definite... Uh, I think red flag for retailers and for for all business owners to ensure that their that their stock prices are up to date constantly, and therefore that their inventory management system is completely streamlined and and up to scratch. Yep, yep. There is um, <clears throat> there's a lot of things that a that a system can do, um, and there's a lot of things that I still believe there is a there is a an old fashioned value to. Uh, a long, long time ago, before point of sale was around, um, people used to take their sales, um, their, their, their tickets that sold for product for the day, and they go to their back office and they would uh, reduce their inventory by the sales activity. And they got a real personal experience with that because they saw the product that was sold now with it happening automatically, and the inventory is deleted from the. And so the point, the product sold for the day is deleted automatically from their inventory system, and and. And the retailers, um, because it's so simple, they don't go and look at the message they're getting from their customers about what was sold yesterday. And equally importantly, uh, the message they got from their customers, the product that they walked past and they didn't buy yesterday or the day before or for the last 12 months. Yes, absolutely. And, and in this current state that we're in, what do you recommend for the today's retailers? Like, Should they be buying stock? Should they be moving stock? Like... What's your advice? Um, it's on it's on two fronts. The first front is you should replace the fast selling product. Um, that's the product that's sold within the last ninety days in particular, because that's the that's where the heat is in the marketplace. It's the product that people like. So if it's been it's been purchased in the last ninety days and it's sold in the last ninety days, the likelihood of it selling is somewhere north of ninety five percent. If it's been there for uh, for more than 180 days, which in, in essence is six months, um, and it is it is sold, I would be taking that cost of goods sold and I would be saying, I don't want to put that back into that same product. In fact, I may not even want to put it back into that same product category. 
where is my business, is it crying out for more investment in stock? So I'm going to take the product, uh, the cost of goods from the product sold that was older stock, and I'm going to reinvest it over here in an area where, in fact, there's a consumer demand because we don't know long how long that consumer demand is going to cool. going to be in any given product. So we need mm-hmm. to be we need to be flexible over saying blessed are the flexible for they will not be bent out of shape, <laughs> and and that that really does apply to retail. Yeah, I heard, I heard another quote recently about that about not isolating your um, your customer base and who your clientele are like. You need to listen to who they are, what they're buying, what they're interested in, and, and don't try and walk away from the designs they like. like give Correct. Them what looking, give them what they're looking at. Yeah, we we don't know whether they're at the at the back end of the bus or this is the the front end of the bus just coming around the corner in in style and uh, and consumer demand. It's an interesting topic um, in regards to. Yeah, the the demand um, of the consumer and whether or not that is shaped by the trends that the industry sets or by the trends of a different industry or by the trends of their own style. It's um, uh, I suppose the yeah the customer preferences is a is a very interesting uh, thing to dissect and probably needs a little bit more time than what we have today. But absolutely is a is a very interesting factor that we should all be considering because there's a very uh, you know significant need for businesses to fuse somehow the consume what the consumer is demanding and what they a have access to product wise and also b what their own style and what their own brand encompasses and what does that look like from a product point of view very much so and some of the retailers don't do themselves many favors where they say they're custom bespoke and and what they do and then they have four or five branded products as well and it's very confusing to the consumer they're saying well i hear what you're saying but i see what you're doing and uh, i'm 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 confused about what the message is yeah yeah have you seen um buying patterns change recent recently with retailers um certainly this this calendar year uh, absolutely um covid certainly put the handbrake on um a lot of buying and and that's that's sad because when you've sold the very best of what you've got, you're down to the second or third best. When you've sold the very best out of that, now you're down to the stuff that uh, most of your consumers don't want. Um, and because of the challenges of COVID and the social distancing and no reps on the road and that, um, where historically retailers have not been dependent, but they've certainly been, it's been a big piece of their purchasing history by buying from reps on the road. And that's the challenge that suppliers are now coming to terms with. How do I get my product out in front of retailers, the new ranges and stuff, whilst doing all the social distancing and, and keeping their world and our world safe? Um, I was talking to a, a retailer the other day and he was saying that uh, in, in watches in particular, he hasn't heard from any of his major watch suppliers in uh, in three or four months. So that, that's, that's crazy. People oh. are still buying watches. Yeah, that's right. And, and just because there's no ability to see people face-to-face does not mean that your communication should shut down. There's um, There are many, many channels in order to approach and to talk to your customer and your consumer and there's no reason why... Um, why just because you can't have a face-to-face meeting that, that, that your entire communication strategy stops. Correct. 
Correct. And, and I think we may see more and more custom bespoke people doing what we're doing here, the Zoom meeting type of situations to show people product, um, keeping both parties safe, certainly to get them to um, to a stage where they are in the mood to make a decision um, and maybe make an appointment to come in and, and view it in a what they consider a safe environment. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think the next um, the next six months in particular are still going to be quite uh, we're, we're going to need to be quite cautious still, but it doesn't mean that we can't um, utilise the technology that we have available to us and make it work for us. No, 100%. Um, one of our very early webinars around when COVID came in, we said to people, how, how could you have been better prepared for something like this? And the answer is, if $100,000 of your old stock that's currently sitting on the shelf was sitting in the bank in liquid capital, would you in a better, be in a better position to, uh, to, to, to meet this, head, this wind head on? And the answer is, good heavens, of course we would be. Yeah. How do we get to that place? Yeah, and that's inventory control, isn't it? <laughs> C- correct. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a need. Uh, what, what do you? What's your process, Brett? Do you have um, Do you have all of your stock um, in an itemised spreadsheet, or do you use a software management system? Oh, look, I'm I'm still early days in my own because so much of my own work is one off, and really, at least ninety five percent of what I'm doing is bespoke, custom made design, and like you were saying earlier, I'm doing the the uh, Zoom meetings. I'm doing it via WhatsApp, via Instagram Messenger, like a email, whatever the channels are. Like I'm, that's how I'm utilizing all of them. Yeah, I'm communicating with my customer every which way I can, whichever way they're comfortable. Um, but as far as stock management, yeah, look, look, I use a, a Shopify website myself, so that has some good tools on it. Um, but yeah, like my, my stock is minimal though. Like as I said, because the majority of it's one-off design. Yeah, one of the things that, and I and I, I take where you're uh, where you're at, Brett. I we we've, we see a lot of um, a lot of people in that situation. Um, the first thing I say is uh, a piece of it is about the inventory control, but a piece of it is also about uh, the CRM functionality of, of communicating with the customer, uh, having their purchase history that that which is basically their likes and dislikes, I guess, in simple terms, um, and being able to identify a product that they have purchased historically and there may be an opportunity to sell something not dissimilar or complementary to that very product, whether it be um, the sapphire earrings that go with the sapphire ring they purchased or uh, or the leaf pattern, plain gold earrings that go with that leaf pattern on the bracelet that they purchased uh, 12 months ago, any of those type of things. Yeah. Have you seen many um, industry tr- trends shift recently, Mike? Are they um, are they the same as what they were before COVID, or are you seeing different types of products being purchased now? Um, well, this pl- plain gold earrings, um, interesting enough, have been a, a real strong seller for most people for coming up to eighteen months uh, now. In fact, just just going through two Christmases. And I still see them performing um, quite strongly. Plain gold is performing quite strongly, but interestingly enough, so is uh, so is diamond set jewellery. And it's not just about the rings; it's about the earrings, it's about the pendants, um, and some of the things that we see with the fashion industry, the the um, the Pandoras, the Thomas Sabos, the Alanis, whatever it may be. People that like fine jewellery see people wearing this type of product, and they say that's a nice looking piece but I'm a diamond girl or I'm an 18 karat gold, yellow gold person. 
I might go and speak to my jeweler and see if there's something like that that I, they could do for me that will complement the product that I have. Um, so I say to people, sometimes you need to take a step back. You get too too deep down at the item level. You need to take a step back and say, uh, is this is this about earrings? Is it about pendants? Is it about bracelets? What's the overall look and feel? What are people trying to achieve? What's being shown in the fashion magazines and by the newsreaders and that sort of stuff? How is that influencing the potential of our consumers and their buying patterns? Do you find... Uh these retailers quite receptive when you're bringing up these sort of facts that you know they've had x items for two plus years uh yeah how how do they feel to that when you're mentoring them um it's a challenge um nobody likes to admit they've uh, they've made a mistake um but the reality is they um they didn't actually make a mistake they didn't listen hard enough to what the consumers are trying to tell them on one hand, they buy product here which doesn't sell uh, and they try and push that back out because they've run out of capital. Their, um, their overdraft is at the limit and they're trying to turn that into cash. And uh, their, their overdraft is typically the open to buy. Uh, when they run out of open to buy, when they run out of overdraft, they run out of open to buy. So they don't buy anything, including the stuff that the customers purchased that they've only had in for three days and they should be buying and putting back on the shelf again. Um, until they get some money back in the bank and then they go out on a buying pattern. So it's almost like a feast and famine. So many um, so many retailers are incredibly in tune, though, with their customer and their audience and their, um, their area, if they're, especially if they're you know, in, a, in a regional location and they know their customers intimately. Um, what, what tips would you give to them to continue to grow their businesses? Um, I would say, first and foremost, um, if you've got a good pattern of behaviour and you're, you're buying, then most definitely continue that. Be aware of what the consumers are, are, are buying on a day-by-day basis because quite often these will be subtle little shifts in, uh, in the consumer um, um, market trend. They, move, they may move from uh, heavier pendants to smaller, um, more fine-type pendants. Um, be aware of that by reviewing your day's sales on a daily basis and just seeing where the subtle shifts may be coming about. Look at, look at that based on a product category basis, look at it on an item basis, and most definitely look at it on a supplier basis because even the best of suppliers run hot and cold with their styles. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I think only now we're probably starting to see some of the the problems in the supply chain that suppliers uh, will be experiencing and will still continue to experience for some time yet, not unlike Woolworths did um, through the uh, through the start of the pandemic where shelves were largely empty of, of, of key items, we could see not dissimilar situations in some product through Australia for the next uh, three to six months. Yeah, that's that's right. But again, that's why, you know, really this... this um COVID situation is the perfect opportunity for us to be sourcing locally made products, not just completely bespoke handmade pieces, but locally um, sourced metals, locally sourced stones, locally made tools even. Yep, yep very much so. How are you finding it with, uh, with, with given your um, sourcing raw materials and making product up, Brett, how are you finding it? Uh, some of it's just the, the courier and the freight too. Uh, like there's things like an order which I would generally have overnight, which it can often be taking a week now to get to me, even though it is local. Like so, I'm on the Gold Coast, and there's things I'm ordering from Brisbane 
something I ordered last week on a Thursday. Today we're here on a Tuesday. It still hasn't arrived. But really, I should have had that last Friday. So a lot of things are being pushed back in that regard as well, even when I can source them locally. So it's, yeah, but the, I'm finding the customers are very forgiving. They understand the situation we're in. Yeah. So uh, as long as, long as we, I get close to their timeline, we're uh, <laughs> happy. You give them a bit of a, a bit of a leniency on either, either side. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the, the answer there is to be upfront and transparent with them um, because they recognise the challenges because many of them are in business as well and exactly. go through similar challenges exactly. themselves. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. exactly. Yeah, transparency is everything, and and that that's a big part of my own personal business. Is I am my brand, so people know who they're dealing with. They know who's doing the work and designing it and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I think that's why they are a bit more forgiving of me when these sort of things happen that are completely out of my control. Mm. Mike, your your insights are fascinating. I love I love talking to you, um, and I could chat to you for hours. Um, what would be your your top suggestion or piece of advice that you would give to retailers and jewellery um, businesses now? Um, if, I, if I'm allowed, I'd give them two pieces of advice. Right. <laughs> First piece is to um, don't be too cautious with your buying, but certainly be cautious enough with your buying, uh, replacing stock and, and certainly um, trying new stock. But probably the most important piece of uh, advice I would give them is reconnect with your customers. Even though a customer may not have purchased stuff in the last three to six months, you still have the opportunity to reconnect with those people, as I said, there are these, these jewellery orphans that are drifting away there. And so you need to find a reason that has value in their mind why you would reconnect with them and give them something um, that has low cost to you but could have um, reasonably high perceived value to them to reconnect with them because if you don't do it now in the next month or two these are the people that you won't see going into your christmas um, selling period wonderful thank you so much well we really appreciate your time mike it's been amazing chatting to you and hopefully we'll talk to you again on the podcast um or in a different format um in the future um but uh, thank you again and, and we really appreciate all your insights Thank you very much for the opportunity, uh, Brett and Laura, and um, a pleasure to work with you. Thanks again, Mike, and uh, yeah, I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks for your time. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for joining us on the Jewelers Podcast. If you'd like to know more about how to be part of the Jewelers Podcast, head to our Facebook or Instagram page. See you next time.